if you like the work that we produce on this show, support the show and get access to extra content and more at patreon.com backslash Fred Show. Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. I have a show today, and it involves the traditional stick. And it came from a car ride I had with Coach uh, Paul Waring. 2011, we're driving along in the car. He's taking me from Herkimer after some event down to the airport. I mic him and I start asking him questions. And he starts reflecting on playing lacrosse in the late 1960s. I guess he graduated in 72 from Cortland State. In the process of talking to him, he says, we were the last generation of college players to play with wooden sticks. On this week's show, the traditional stick, you'll hear the voices of Paul Wareham, Hall of Famer, Mike Wovogel, who was a teammate of Paul Wareham at Cortland State, a Hall of Famer, won a national championship under Hall of Famer Richie Moran before he went on to be the head coach at Yale University, Emmett Printup, the Thompson brothers, Jeremy Thompson, Jerome Thompson, and Lyle Thompson, all talking about the meaning of the traditional lacrosse stick. We'll also hear an interview done live on the sideline of a game with Elf Jacques who is a stick maker in the Onondaga Nation. So these are all part of the podcast in answering the question, what is the meaning of the traditional lacrosse stick? And it all starts out with an interview with Paul Wareham, self-described along with Mike Wovogel, as the last of the college men to play with the traditional stick. And they talk about going to the reservations in the Syracuse area, actually going into the woods, picking out the stick, and then the six to 10 month process that is described by Elf Jacques in making that stick. So that's all a part of this week's show. Go to fredopi.com, take a look to the link to the podcast and listen to some of the shows on there. Look for other videos of our live interviews on the Fred Opie Show that are available on Facebook. Share them via Twitter, your Facebook page, email them to people, let people know this is the content that I'm producing, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do actually producing it. We go up to Syracuse, and Jack Emma had me wired. This is your sophomore year? My sophomore year of college, so that's 1970. And uh, he kept poking me in the chest and telling me how the defensive man, Joe Ehrman, uh, there was... Oh, Joe Ehrman was there? Joe Ehrman was there. A whole bunch of really tough, tough... Ethan Klausner... Uh, tough players, tough Syracuse football, lacrosse guys that, that Coach Simmons got to play you know, lacrosse, but they weren't funded. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coach Simmons, to be honest with you, was lining the field. Yeah. You know what I mean? And with paint on his shoes as he's coaching the game. Yeah. And uh, Klaus was like a 6'4", you know, 6'3", 225, 230-pound. I was like a, a, a 6-foot, 160-pound kid. Yeah. And Ethan was brutal. And uh, and we when we crossed and we crossed to shake hands, I said, "How you doing, you big fat piece of?" Oh you no, know. you did. Yes, no, I did. did at the beginning of the game. Oh god! Right, and you know, like I, I and, and he freaking he says, "This one's mine." You know I, mean? <laughs> and I, I scored. Is like, he a football guy or lacrosse he was a football guy? Football guy, but he could play lacrosse. Uh-huh. And uh, I scored like the first three goals of the game, 
And uh, who was your feeder? Uh, well, there was uh, Richie O'Leary, uh -huh. who wound up running the intramural program, which is one of the largest intramural programs in Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, Richie was unbelievable. And uh, but Syracuse slowly, with the Doctor Brothers and those guys, started to come back. Oh, okay. Right, and now. They were getting to me. I was a crease man, and they were lumping me up pretty good. I mean, when the ball was thrown inside, I was pissing off a bunch of them because I was mouthy and the whole thing. Yeah. And by the middle of the third quarter, end of the third quarter, I wasn't so mouthy anymore. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have real good shoulder pads in those days. The arm pads. How, how was Joe Herman? Joe was good. Really? Joe was meaner than he, he was as he as he exhibits in his books. And, and but good had, footwork and good, oh yeah, oh real good footwork. Started for the Baltimore Colts. I mean, great feet. In the fight, this, let me finish the story. You don't yeah. got enough record tape for this one. <laughs> that's, that's where Jack Salerno and Dick Finley and all these Hall of Fame Long Island guys had played years before. So everybody knew about Syracuse. And these guys were now taking over the game. They had beaten the living crap out of me. Uh -huh. And at the end of the game, the two defensive men, they said, when this one's over, he's mine. I mean, like they were going to beat the living crap out of me on the field. And I, now I wasn't that tough, skinny guy anymore, you know, from Freeport. And Syracuse wound up winning. And as soon as the game ended, I ran to the bus. And I had never done that in my life before. And I played against Hempstead and Roosevelt and some really tough teams. And I ran. I was scared to death. So we lose the game. So the following year, and this is Coach Simmons, will, you could you know, ask him about this, but it is true. It's the only game in my whole collegiate career that my mother saw me play lacrosse. She never yeah. saw me play. Oh, I didn't know she, she was a single parent yeah. living on Long Island. She had, yeah. I had two younger sisters and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and and so she comes up. We were playing in Cortland. It was 1971, the year before when Jack Emmett came in. The Super 7, Principles to Grow, Win with People, and Be More Creative. It's a book that will help you managing your schedule, communication, dealing with criticism, learning how to give criticism, learning how to organize yourself, things that I have learned along the way. That's what's in that book. I'm excited for that bad boy to drop, and it's going to be happening very soon as an audio book, a Kindle, and a hard copy. That'll be coming out soon. We'll have some pre-sale set up in the weeks to come. already beaten Cornell, who was the defending Division I national champs, and we're playing Syracuse at Cortland. Huge crowd, four or 5,000 people, no stands, no bleachers, all the fans standing right along the sideline. If you can knock a Syracuse guy into the sideline, the fans would grab a glove or grab a spike <laughs> off the guy's hand. I mean, he'd go back on the field like with no glove, and they'd just pass it, and it, they didn't have gloves, and they could pass around and stuff, but if you lost a spike... You were dead because everybody else on the team, I mean, they'd rip your clothes off. So <laughs> if you could knock them just out of bounds. So I start off, this is true, I start off, and it's Syracuse has three, and Wareham has three at the end of the first quarter. And Coach Simmons was an aggressive guy because he had aggressive defensive men. And they weren't as good. They were definitely nowhere near. They weren't fully funded, the whole thing. So they were dealing with pieces and tatters and a lot of natives like the Doctor Brothers again. And... Uh, Coach Simmons didn't like the fact that I was, I was single-handedly tied tied the game, and he had evidently, from what the Syracuse guys told me, that he said, "Make sure this guy doesn't do too well the rest of this game. You know, let's go after him." So what they did was on a fast break, they locked off the point man 
and locked off the base left, the lefty shooter, and I was the righty shooter down low, and they left me wide open, and the midi came down and threw the ball to me, and as soon as he turned to throw the ball to me, the point defensive man and the lefty defensive man slid, and they freaking knocked me into Tata land. I wound up getting 17 stitches in my mouth, wow. right? My lip was hanging off. Blood was pouring out of, my, out of my mouth. I went out of the game for about a minute and a half. They tape, they put a roll of tape on my mouth with gauze pads. I went back out. I scored six more goals. I finished up with nine goals and two assists. And we beat them like 23 to... This is the only game my mother ever saw. Uh-huh. And I was spitting blood. And I was now, because the year before, yeah. I cowered out and crawled off of Syracuse's field and ran to the the bus. I was freaking making sure every Syracuse guy knew I was there that year. Wow. And we and then we wound up 13-1 uh, and one or something like that. We thought we had a bid for the NCAA Division I tournament because we were that good. Mm. And, excuse me, we lost to Cornell that year. That was mm. the only loss. We were 13-1. Who, who did Cornell have then? Uh, Cornell had uh, Jesus, uh, Billy Ellis, uh, Bobby Shaw, uh, some unbelievable... Uh, midfielders, uh, a lot of transfers. Uh, Bruce Arena, okay, I know who that was name. in the Soccer Hall of Fame, okay. and he, he coached the USA Soccer. Cullen played. Yeah. Um, it was an unbelievable group of guys, and our only loss was to Cornell. And when the Division One bids came out, we thought we had a chance to get it, and we didn't get it, and we didn't. Our season ended, and Cornell wound up beating Maryland at Hofstra, 1971 for the Division I National Championship. So Coach Emma, who was brilliant, but more brilliant as far as marketing, was Chuck Winters. Chuck Winters came in from, uh, he came in from the Midwest. I think he came in from Bowling Green. I think he was Bowling Green. And he he came into Cortland, and he had all these marketing schemes and and sweatshirts, and all of a sudden we started dressing nice and had, you know, we had to pay for it, but we, we look, we had the swag that the kids like now. He was, he was the assistant coach? He was the assistant coach. And he came in. I'm a two-time All-American attack man going into my senior year. And he came up with a brilliant idea. To, Let's move where in the midfield. I recently read your wonderful book, Start With Your Gift. The lines that really resonated and impacted me were the following. College degrees don't end feelings of insecurity. Hurt people hurt people. All work is honorable. Get the knowledge you need to exercise your gift and make an impact on the world around you. Your job cannot meet all financial commitments and satisfy all our needs. Lisa Kokito. Start with your gift is available on Amazon as an ebook, paperback, and as an audiobook. Let's return to the show now to unpack more history to positively impact the future. And I, I said, wait a second. Well, what happened to the long pole? I didn't lose it. So they could run me on the wing on a face-off. I truly, in my mind, if anybody can prove me differently, I was truly the first long stick ever to play lacrosse. I did not know that. Because I, I played, it's a long story why I played with long stick and everything, but I played, I was a skilled attack man, and they put a long stick in my hand because they thought I was supposed to be a defensive man my freshman year at Cortland. And those were the last days of the wooden sticks. And when I proved that I could start... So you played with a wooden stick? Played with a wooden We were the last group. Jimmy Ullman, my senior year, devised the first plastic stick in UVA. His team came out with all the plastic sticks. Time out, time out. That plastic stick idea... Emmett Printup. The first plastic stick was developed by the guy that was doing wood sticks in Tuscarora by the name of Wesley Patterson. He came out with the first plastic stick. The plastic uh, stick business killed his business. 
first plastic stick was made in Tuscarora by Tuskegee Crafts. And, and what year about did this happen? Early 70s. And you're Tuscarora, correct? Yes. Yeah. We all play with wooden sticks. There was no plastic sticks. And what was perfect for us, the Indian Reserve, we just drove straight up 81 to Nedro. My senior year didn't have much money. I wanted to buy my own stick. I didn't want to be given one by the school. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the school would buy them in bulk. Yeah. Because they had to use them for phys ed classes. So the phys ed, we'd use them first, the team, and then when they broke, you'd fiberglass them to make them stronger and heavier and stuff like that. Uh -huh. But I wanted my own. So I went up to the Louis Jocks, up in the, the uh, Nedro Native uh -huh. Reserve, mm -hmm. and I went up, and I'll never forget this, and there was a young girl, and girls, they couldn't touch a lacrosse stick. Traditionalist Native. Let's, let's clear this one up. Emmett Printup. Even though I'm a Native of the Americas, mm -hmm. not Native American, Native of the Americas. There was a little girl sitting there, she's about 13 years of age. She went up and she took me out into a field where the trees were growing. I picked one and she said, no, I don't think that's a good one. And we kept walking and she picked another one. We cut it down. I told her how long I wanted and I told her how many strings and how many holes I wanted across the top. Well, I, I always got two, two sticks from uh, up in Nedro. Mike Wovogel. Lyons was uh, was the person up there, and he got he basically picked the sticks out for me. And I got custom, you know, as a defensive player, but I had, instead of using those big, wide defensive sticks, I used a midfield stick that was long. And the, the chief picked it out for me, and uh, I think there were 20 bucks each, which were handmade, beautiful sticks. That I think I was the last player to use a wooden stick in 74. I always looked at the game as, you know, the creator's game and having... Uh, you know, the chief blessed the sticks for me. It was pretty unique. So we went up there all the time and got, you know, our, our own sticks, which were pretty cool. Was this Chief Orange Lines we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, it was. And she says, okay, you come back in March. Paul Wareham. And the stick will be cured and it'll be drilled and the whole thing because it had to season or whatever. They laid it out on, on racks and stuff like that. I'm based on Dogger Nation. The tradition with the wooden sticks. Elf Jacques. It's our stick made from a living tree with leather from an animal, rawhide from an animal. It's all living, natural things, you see. And that's part of the medicine, because we always thank the Creator for the stick and for the game, for the rain that makes the tree grow. That's the medicine. Please email me at fdopie at gmail.com and share your questions. I will repeat them on the show so people get the benefit of your question and my response. Invite me to speak and host the Fred Opie Show at your school, club team, or camp by emailing me at fdopie at gmail.com. Hosting a show is a great way for the oldest students who are interviewed to pass on positive peer pressure to younger students. And during the Q&A with the audience, I share a perspective I wish I had when I was younger. Now back to the show. Your tradition of, of making sticks, does that come to the family or did you pick it up from somebody else? Actually, what happened, I, I didn't have a stick. I was uh, about 13 years old. Elf Jacques. I started playing, I was about 11 or 12. I was 13, maybe 11, 12 or 13. I did not have a stick. I was borrowing my brother's stick or my father's stick. I didn't have one. We didn't have any money. They were like four or five bucks at the time. And my father says, hey, what the hell, let's make our own. So we went in the woods, cut down a tree, and started making sticks, just like that. Nobody taught us how. We made ugly, 13. Okay. 
ugly sticks. <laughs> that you could catch and throw and play lacrosse, but they were damn ugly. And, yeah. You know, we knew that. Well, we got better and better and better, and over the years, here I am now. You've been doing it. How old are you now? 68. Do you have some young folks that you're teaching a craft to now? Or I got, I got one, one young man right now, young man, he's 38. 38, young man, 38. And he's been working with me for three years now, and he's getting real good. Okay. So he's going to take over when I'm gone. So, and how I, long does it take you to make one from, from harvesting it from the woods to putting it together? From a tree to, to uh, finish up that's ready to sell is like 10 months. 10 months. Yeah. Because you got to bend the wood. And it's gotta you got to dry, shape it and dry it for a month to two months. Then you bend it. Then it sits six months after drying. And that's that's seven or eight months. No, what? what? Six is, yeah, seven or eight months there. And then you have to you bend it again and then... You dry it some more, and then you trim it down, you dry it some more, you steam it, straighten it, balance it, all that stuff, and dry it some more. Then you uh, drill the holes and sand it and net it and all that stuff, and you're talking like 10 months. First time we're, out, we're supposed to be inside. Paul Wareham. And Coach Emma came up with this brilliant idea that the weather had dipped below 30 degrees, so we could, it was all right for us to go outside, so he put us out into a crappy field in some factory outside of Cortland. I didn't have a car to drive. And I barred somebody's car to go up to pick up my stick. And I'm driving down Route 81. Now I'm late for practice and I can't find this field. Right? And I, I drive up and I was captain of the team and I was very serious and I was always there, always a half hour early, like all good players were, mm -hmm. and late and stuff. And I jumped out of the rented the car that I grabbed, grabbed my brand new stick, and I'm sprinting across the field. The coach ever starts screaming at me. You know, what are you doing? I mean, it didn't yeah. stress, didn't do yeah. anything. And he had me so pissed off that the first clearing drill, and I ran on the field right away, I, they're clearing the ball, and it was Jack McGettrick, and I'm running down, I'm chasing him, and I was pissed because I was getting yelled at and screamed at, and I just had this stick in my hand. I couldn't have it in my hand for five minutes, and I checked the kid's stick, and the ball went out, and the stick just splintered and flew, and I had waited for six months for the stick, so we went back in fiberglass, and you took, you took both fiberglass, and the stick was so heavy, I couldn't even play with it. Ten months to make it in U.S. culture society. If a flag, U.S. flag gets ripped, you're supposed to burn it. What do you do with a <laughs> stick that took ten months to make and yeah. you see it break? Is there a tradition of what you do when a stick breaks or what do you do? Get Besides another. cry. <laughs> you cry and then get another one. Elf is Jacques. But there's no tradition of no, bending it, playing with it, No, tough. no. But you know, our, our men, our people are buried with their stick. Oh, really? Yeah. Not a plastic stick, a wooden stick. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much for taking the time out to speak with me. Well, I thank you. Opie, thanks for recognizing me and talking to me. I'm undercover. You weren't supposed <laughs> to see me. Hey, listeners, we want to make you aware of the Jim Brown 56 Lacrosse Challenge. Donate $56 or more to the Uganda Lacrosse Foundation at ugandalacrosse.org. 56 was Brown's Syracuse Lacrosse jersey number. Purchase a copy of my lacrosse memoir slash career advice book, Start With Your Gift. Post a picture of you holding your copy of the book on Instagram and tag me, and I will donate 10% of the proceeds of your purchase to the Uganda Lacrosse Foundation. It will advance the initiative of getting lacrosse into the Olympics. For that to happen, lacrosse has to exist on all the continents on the globe, and Africa is the last frontier. Your tax-free donation will go a long ways in helping spread lacrosse from not just being the fastest game in the United States, but the fastest growing game across the world. 
and Jimmy Ullman had created the plastic sticks and a couple of guys on the team. Paul Wareham started using plastic sticks because it was just a head with a wooden shaft, but it would rattle and stuff like that. It wasn't really well made, and I tried a plastic stick and it didn't work, and I went back to my old wooden stick. My story is, you know, there was no, no lacrosse, no wood stick given to me in the cradle at birth. My father died when I was seven. He was a 82nd Airborne. My father's father, he passed away when my dad was only four, I think, in World War II. You know, usually lacrosse players are from, it's passed on down, you know, grandfather to the father to the kid. You know, my father was a great African warrior. He wasn't allowed to play lacrosse because uh, my grandmother told him, and it's a game for drinkers. And I believe my father grew up in a household when he was younger in a Baptist. He wasn't allowed to play lacrosse. My great-grandmother was a survivor of those boarding schools. The, the schools that, that Eamon is talking about is schools that mainstream society used to culturally castrate Native Americans. Uh, many of those same schools, yeah. public schools, did the same thing for African Americans. 10% of the children that were taken to those schools were never heard from again. The Euro-Americans really had a, a game plan. How I got into lacrosse, I went to a bazaar on our reservation, a uh, winter bazaar, from a quarter that fell on the road in front of me during my walk to the corner. So I went into the bazaar. The only thing I could buy was a uh, raffle ticket. So I buy a raffle ticket and I have a seat. You know, I'm not gonna look around at the tables because I have no money on me. Hour later, they call my name, I go to the stage, and what I won was a Patterson wooden lacrosse stick. That's how I got into the game of lacrosse. Just been hanging out with all the boys over the year for national years and the importance uh, in what their sticks meant to them. Uh, strong traditional beliefs, which is good, but my story was different. Through my experience growing up was, I happened to be a goal scorer. I kind of got the, uh, the the USA treatment with the sticks myself. That was the way you stop a goal scorer, bang them around. And that's my experience with the stick. I respect uh, the, the players that know, know more about it and they still practice it today. You know, I mean, a lot of guys play with the plastic sticks. You know, when they have their medicine game, the wood stick comes out. My experience with the wood stick is, and that's all I can say, was pain, trying to stop the goal score. What are the various meanings of the traditional stick to you? Secondly, I'm asking this on the backdrop, remembering the first year that the Iroquois national team competed in the World Games, and that was in Perth, Australia, your first time playing, my first time, and only playing. And I remember that the Iroquois defensemen all played with the wooden sticks. And with me, with real bad tendonitis, I decided to sit out the game versus your team, the Iroquois national. And Lord, let me tell you, I was very happy to have sat out that game. Oh my God. It wasn't the motif of laying lumber. They were laying lumber. That hurts. When you get hit with a with a, with a plastic stick, with a wooden shaft or a lunar shaft, it hurts. But a wooden stick and a wooden head. So what is the meaning of the traditional stick? And do you remember at all defensemen saying, we're going to play with a traditional stick? And it print up. The reason the woodies were brought out is all of our opponents that we play usually have the refs on their side. The wood sticks came out as an equalizer. It seemed like uh, with the athletic ability, like the Team USA. So the Canadian boys were kind of used to that, but like USA, you know, just run, run, run. You got to uh, put it to a different level. I believe we went there with 16 uh, long poles that were wood. By halftime, I believe we were tied with USA, but we broke all of our sticks. The second half, USA kind of matted up a little bit. The fear factor was uh, the equalizer was gone. The tradition with the wooden sticks. The medicine. Elf Jacques. Because it's the creator's game. The girls shouldn't be playing the medicine game. 
or using wooden sticks. There's medicine in that traditional wooden stick and that carries on you know, to wherever you go. Jeremy Thompson, Jerome Thompson, and Lyle Thompson. It's a sport known as today, you know, so if, if my child, my girls, you know, decide to play lacrosse, you know, take, you know, use it as a vehicle to go to college, you know, by all means, um, I don't want to hold them back from that, but I can tell you that she knows not to touch a wooden traditional lacrosse stick. For me, no, I don't, I don't let my daughter touch any kind of lacrosse stick because I just feel like it's the way I was brought up that it's, it's, it's wrong. So I don't, I don't let her touch any kind of lacrosse stick, whether it's a traditional one or a plastic one that we use these days. Just because I, I feel like it still holds that, that sacredness that we carry for, for the game of lacrosse. The different things they say, the medicine's only in, in the wooden stick and just don't let them touch that. You know, and I look at it and I see they're two different games. Mm -hmm. They won't be playing lacrosse. They know not to touch any of my sticks, any wooden stick at a young age. And obviously I got sticks laying around the house, so they, they go and as babies, my youngest one, she'll still grab my stick and whatnot. You know, that's the way we were we were kind of brought up. Like my sister never would never touch our sticks, my mom would never touch our sticks. So right from a young age, that's kind of what we've seen. Paul Wareham, the Thompson brothers, Jeremy Thompson, Jerome Thompson, and Lyle Thompson. Emmett Printup with Mike Wovogel, Elf Jacques. That's it for this edition of the Fred Opie Show. Thank you for joining us. Check out the show archive at fredopiespeaks.com, as well as our books and other content. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our show notes where you'll find a way to subscribe to our podcast, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. You'll find links to books discussed on the show, links to our YouTube channel where you can watch the show. If you want to know more about what I'm doing, go to fredopi.com, which is my website. You can see information on the books I've published. There are two blogs that I host there, both a food and an athlete's blog, and there's both a food and an athlete's podcast. The whole archive to both those two podcasts are there. At the bottom of the podcast page, I have links to interviews that I have listened to on other people's podcasts that I would recommend.